Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, and I'm excited to showcase my friend and colleague, Amy Barnard-Barn. Amy is a Fortune Global 50 executive. She is a consultant at the C-suite and leaders at global companies like Bank of the West, Adobe, and The Gap. She's been recognized by Forbes as one of the top coaches for legal and compliance executives, and she is a fellow member of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches. Amy Guest lectures at Stanford and UC Berkeley, is a contributor to Harvard Business Review, Fast Company and Compliance Week, and a fellow at the Harvard Institute of Coaching. So, Amy, welcome to People First. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I just love reading your bio because there are just so many pivots and turns and even touch on the fact that you're a diversity advocate too, (sighs) but we'll get onto that in a moment. But I want to flash back to your origin story. So when you were a wee girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be both an artist and a teacher for the disabled. Oh, so tell me more about both of those. I loved creating Mm -hmm. and I had a vivid imagination and I loved writing as well as physical art, applied arts. And then in terms of the disabled, I felt a strong sense of giving back and that I wanted to help people that maybe couldn't advocate for themselves, which wound up becoming a thread through my career later. All right, so let's pick at that thread. So what was the pivot point and where did your career actually take you? Well, my career actually took me to, I was a creative writing poetry major at at Tufts University with a minor in Mandarin because I loved calligraphy Um, and took hieroglyphics as well. Not very practical since it's a rather dead language, but it was fun. And I can read some tombs now, which is cool. Little hat trick, party trick. Yeah. Um, and then I realized I needed to actually make a living. And I was dating a wonderful friend at the time who's still a close friend who convinced me to go to law school and defer reality for three years, which was fantastic. And so I went to Georgetown Law School and learned a lot And uh, that's where the advocacy comes in. It Mm -hmm. it wound up being a wonderful way for me to learn the legal system in the United States, as well as power systems in general. And in my second and third year, I had a wonderful opportunity when you can finally, you know, get some of your credits out of the way and you take your voluntary classes. I had the privilege of working for some wonderful advocates in the critical race theory and feminist space. I I was a fellow at the ACLU legislative office and worked for now former commissioner Kai Felbloom, who has been a pioneer in LGBTQ plus and disability rights. And the summer that I was there, I helped lobby through the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that was one of the best jobs in my life, working with brilliant people who were dedicated to um, the Bill of Rights and um, it's, it was a fascinating intellectual and just personal experience. And then after that, um, my student loans came in mm. and then yet again, I realized the decision was back in terms of making 
more money and um, my parents were going through a divorce. And so that also put a fine point on the finances of things. Mm -hmm. And so I went to work for a law firm in California and I applied to a ton of firms in places I'd never heard of. It was a terrible time to be graduating from law school and uh, not having any contacts in California, which is where I was moving from Washington, D.C. I just had decided I'd live my whole life on the East Coast and it's time for a change. And when you take the bar exam, it kind of tends to anchor you. You, mm-hmm. can, move, you can move and, you know, but it's difficult um, if you want to practice law somewhere else. And I had no idea where my career was taking me. And so, uh, so I picked California. I'd always wanted to live there and moved to Northern California. It had to be someplace with a good opera house, which is another passion of mine. And so that made it pretty easy that it was going to be, for me, San Francisco, between the weather and um, the slightly European flavor and the diversity and the intellectual stimulation, all the great universities that are here. And um, so I worked for a law firm for three years and was absolutely miserable after a time. Got some fantastic experience in terms of both plaintiff and defense litigation on behalf of employees who felt they'd been wronged mm-hmm. and, who, and who had it been in many instances, as well as employers who uh, needed to defend themselves from, from such suits. And even though I didn't like the litigation work, um, it was mainly because money's not my primary motivator. And it's really, you know, a law firm is really like a consulting firm and you need to, uh, you know, do billable hours. And, and that's kind of how you're measured. And that was a really great realization of, of values for me and what motivated me and what long-term was going to bring satisfaction. And luckily I was early enough in my career to have gotten again, wonderful experience that I'm still grateful for, but I then did something which was for me really crazy. And I quit with no plan and took about a year off with a planned sabbatical. I had uh, gotten married and my wonderful husband of, of now 26 years um, said, you know, do it now. We didn't have kids. We didn't have a mortgage. Perfect time to just kind of do something crazy when your whole life had been uh, type type A. Um, it was a good time to do it. And so I traveled in Asia. I founded a nonprofit for the San Francisco Opera and then picked up some random skills that, again, I would have never known would be useful later, but um, I uh, was uh, the board chair and I learned PR and marketing and fundraising and event planning and um, how to manage a board that you're not paying, mm-hmm. which is a very type of motivational uh, vision setting and, and uh, influencing skill to have. And it was, it was a great time. And then I realized that HR could be a really good, I did some career coaching um, with a wonderfully talented person who specialized in unhappy lawyers. And I said, you know, HR would be a great values fit. It would be a big pay cut based on what you were making previously, but it'd be a good values fit. Because one of the things I realized I didn't like Morag was, I'm sure you've seen this with your clients, is I was tired of being stuck with bad facts. I would see a case and I would do the research, talk to my client, uh, get discovery from the other <laughs> side. And I would learn that, you know, if they had just done something slightly different or had a different conversation or showed a little more respect 
um, or if they'd shared the reasons and honestly along the way for performance issues, mm-hmm. the outcome probably wouldn't have resulted in litigation, which makes everyone unhappy. Yeah. No, no one is happy that's litigating, whether you are suing or whether you are being sued. And I didn't want to be in that space. I wanted to be in the space of proactively preventing problems before they happened. And so that's also a key to how I've tried to lead my career since then. So I love that story because what stands out for me is A, the courage and vulnerability to take informed risk because even resigning without, as you describe it, a plan, you knew what you were getting into, but your willingness to pivot and try different experiences, but each seems to be building on the foundation of what's gone before. It all seems to make sense in the rearview mirror. <laughs> I'm sure in the moment there are moments of doubt and like, what have I got myself oh, into? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I've taken a few since then. They felt less risky because of the first. It gets, yeah. e- it gets easier and it becomes you know more conscious and you trust yourself more. And so that was a real gift to do that early. I'm quite grateful for that. Um, and as you, you know, there are different times when different values will shift and you need to, I have two uh, teenage daughters and there were times where I needed to prioritize my career in order to invest for 10 years later, mm-hmm. think, thinking strategically and being down the line and wanting to have more choice later. I had to put yeah. in the hours early so that I didn't lose the executive track, which can happen, especially to women. Yes. And uh, very grateful for that as well. That for me wound up being the right decision. It wouldn't, everybody has to make their own decision on that. Um, and so now I, I had the flexibility when I truly wanted it. I was reading your uh, recent HBR article and it's, the title is Promotions Aren't Just About Your Skills, They're About Your Relationships. And as you know, relationships are dear to my heart when it comes to a professional and a personal environment, success in work and life, in my mind, is down to the quality of your relationships. So as you think about the pivots that you took, what role did relationships play in your success to date? They played a huge role. I had grown up in a very traditional environment and still, I think, with one exception, am the only woman that's made it kind of this far, if, if you will, into an executive role. My, my family's Southern. Uh, my roots are in Texas. And my my parents had very traditional gender roles. And somehow I came out fighting. <laughs> and and um, so I would say that I was so fortunate as I started to get real jobs during college and then particularly in law school to have some mentors, men and women, who were incredible in trying to bring me up. Mm -hmm. And um, so those relationships were critical. And then when I had the privilege of building a team from scratch, when I was an executive at McKesson, and I was responsible for a $90 billion program and had to fight for every headcount I could find, because it was Fortune 5, it was quite a lot of risk. Mm-hmm. to manage with drug distribution and about 15 other businesses I had. And um, those relationships were critical on my team, trust, commitment, accountability, finding the right mix of skills that would complement each mm-hmm. other so we could all do our best work 
I know you do that on your team and it, it's so important. It's, um, it's an art, you know, everybody can have the hard skills, but you also have to, the real work or, or it will all be automated. Mm -hmm. You won't, they won't need us anymore is in how you work together and, and whether you trust and the creativity and the innovation and like you mentioned earlier, being vulnerable and being willing to share, you know, I'm not sure I know how to do this. Could you help mm -hmm. me? Or, um, I've got a great idea. Can I just run it by you? You know, maybe it's great. Maybe it's terrible, but can you help me pick it apart? Um, not everyone's willing to do that. And so having a team to do that is quite critical. And I've worked on wonderful teams and I've worked on horridly dysfunctional teams. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate the difference. And I'm sure that's what brought me to coaching because uh, my mission is to remove obstacles and pain and move the world forward in, in a vision of what I think is a better place where everyone can do their best work. So I think all of this comes together. So I love that, the, the desire to remove obstacles, because I wish this new resource had been around earlier in my career, because you've literally distilled your years of experience looking in that rear view mirror and created the promotability index mm. and alongside it, the Pro promotability index, the PI guidebook, which I have here and have found to be invaluable, both in my coaching practice, but also just thinking as an entrepreneur, um, how do I get to that next level? So tell me a little bit more about the five elements of promotability that you showcase within both the self-assessment and the guidebook. Sure. So I came to the five elements in revert, trying to reverse engineer promotions based on everything I'd done, hiring, firing, mm -hmm. recruiting teams. I've seen up and down business cycles where we've had to decide who stays and who goes, you know, people that I was very close to very difficult decisions, Morgan. I'm sure you've been there as well. And so you know, the five key elements of promotability for me are self-awareness, external awareness, and those two are related, but I've broken them out for purposes of a, a Fortune 500 or other professional group, strategic thinking, mm -hmm. executive, executive presence, and then thought leadership. And they're iterative and they, they build on each other. They're not I don't intend for there to be a hard demarcation between each of them, but in terms of wanting to provide a very practical, insi insightful, and I hope motivational, you know, engaging the creative um, <laughs> in, in the book and, and simply by asking certain questions, bringing insight and triggering people's thinking around what do I want? What do I think I'm really great at? And what do I think? Well, maybe I should work on that right now. Or maybe I should work on that now for what I want three years from now, mm -hmm. because that may take me a while to get really good at that, you know, or that may be hard for me because I'm an introvert because we're all different. And uh, I'm a great example. Careers aren't linear and every job is temporary. Yeah, I think that's a new mindset that we need to be embraced mm -hmm. and that we are if we aren't investing in those five elements that you talked about, if we aren't investing in ourselves, then we're not ready and prepared for the opportunities as they arise within the current organisation. But also if we find ourselves in an unfortunate transition or even if we choose to leave, as you demonstrated throughout your career, and I've done the same, we're not as well prepared to go and seize those new opportunities. So now is the best time 
to reflect on where you are and where you're hoping to go mm-hmm. and then making yeah. those course corrections as needed. Amen. There's never been a bad time to invest in yourself. And right now and over the past year with so much disruption and volatility and and the velocity at which change has occurred, and avuka is quite a common term, um, but I think the velocity of of change is exceptional in our lifetime and perhaps 20 years from now it'll even be more so um but that can be very disorienting and so i wanted to find a grounding spot for people to feel more of a sense of control mm-hmm. that's always been an issue when you're working for someone else and hopefully you're working for a company that supports you and a manager that gives you the feedback that you need to get better um, I would love to uh, know that everyone is in that situation, but you and I both know that's not the case. And so my other goal in this is organize, some organizations have adopted this completely as a forward-looking, proactive, positive way to create a shared language around promotability and who gets promoted and why, mm-hmm. which is another issue for DEIB and um, for being really thoughtful and conscious about those decisions as opposed to them just being defaults, which I bet you and I've both seen as well in our HR backgrounds. Yeah, And um, it also puts, if you don't have that support, I want you to feel empowered to be able to do it on your own or with a good colleague or a mentor or someone else. And so it's, it's a, I hope uh, people find a very flexible framework and that you can also choose different things to work on at different points in your life. I'm I'm kind of a funny reader, I suppose. I sometimes read from the backwards, forwards, and sometimes in the middle. And and then I may go back in the front if something mm-hmm. catches my eye, you know, in the table. And then I figure out where I want to start sometimes. And so I created the, the index book, guidebook, around that a bit. Because I also, more I feel that, Um, having had to sponsor a lot of these programs, a lot of performance management really sucks the joy out of what could be and what should be a personal exploration for your whole life around who do I want to be when I grow up and has that changed? And we do go through different seasons in life, whether it's being a parent or choosing a partner or uh, losing a partner or just realizing I'm stuck and I'm not motivated to do this anymore. I'm done. I've taken this as far as it wants to go and I need to make a switch. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that this will inspire an identity around where are you right now? Where might you want to be? We're living a lot longer these days, which is exciting. I think it should be exciting. Health willing, which, which, uh, you know, that can always be a factor in terms of having good health and doing some of these things, but we've got a lot of great stuff we can do um, in our lives. And there's no reason anymore. The wonderful thing about growing up when you and I are growing up right now, I think is that we're not stuck in one job for 30 years. Like my father was frankly, and that, that was what success looked like was getting Mm -hmm. the gold, the gold watch at 30 years from the fortune 500 company. And I, I still have it, you know, tucked away as a reminder um, it has these little emerald chips in it. And that was a big deal. <laughs> it was a big deal. 
So here's the I'm on my fifth career. And what I love about the guidebook is the self-reflection questions that aren't just about what can I get or ask of others, but really looking inward around, but what what fills my bucket? What Mm. inspires and engages me? And more to the point, what doesn't? So I know what to say no to. But when I look at this, and there's the five elements that you talked about, self-awareness, external awareness, strategic thinking, executive presence, and thought leadership. So again, I'm here actively using it. It's got a little dog-eared already. But when you think (laughs) about five, which do you find we most commonly undervalue or overlook the importance of? I would say that at least for most of my clients, we tend to undervalue external awareness. Hmm. And I think that, you know, as as I said, self-awareness and external awareness are are related um, because the degree to which you know yourself can then impact your ability to to observe and be aware of how you're impacting others, which is really what external awareness is about. But in terms of generating opportunities, those are usually decided by external forces. So that's where external awareness can become so important. And that HBR article that you mentioned, relationships aren't just about your skills, they're about your promotions, uh, sorry, about your relationships. Um, They, I I find that particularly a lot of technical experts, I'm a lawyer, um, I work with a lot of lawyers and a lot of other technical experts, doctors, IT specialists, um, are, are other examples of those, we've been rewarded and encouraged to spend almost all of our time gaining more and more certificates and graduate degrees and and external proof. <laughs> and that's great. And you should be good at what you do. Uh, you should you, sh- you need to be to to be one of the best. And at a certain point, it doesn't actually matter anymore. Mm-hmm. That is a shock to a lot of of experts that have worked their entire lives and spent tons of energy and time and made sacrifices away from their family or financially or or in other ways. And so I, I find that at a certain level, usually just below the C-suite, let's say, someone who's high potential, they know the job, the company trusts them, they love their work, but the C-suite isn't ready to take them. And, and they often will come to me and say, we love this person. They know our culture. They bleed, whatever the company colors are, <laughs> you know, is a common phrase. But there's just this one thing, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't know how to play well with others or they, um, you know, that's, they, they uh, don't get on or they don't know how to compromise, Um or get their ideas heard properly. And so that's where the relationships come in more ag. And that's where I see people really stall out. Mm-hmm. So for people listening here today, in addition to getting their hands on the PI guidebook, completing the promotability index self-assessment, what's your number one tip for someone who's getting ready, building the courage if they need to, to initiate a conversation with their boss about a promotion? First of all, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you gain so much by by doing that. The first thing, though, however, requires a little bit of emotional intelligence, I would say, which is pick your time. Pick your time wisely. Um, 
be prepared. And, and sometimes you never, you don't know immediately when the right time is going to be. So I, I would say, number one, prepare in advance for the conversation, have some talking points, have some data around um, why you, if you believe you should be promoted, why be observant around who has gotten promoted in your company and what their career trajectory was. And there's never been a better time to, to find that out than the now, because you can just simply look on LinkedIn. Most professionals have a have a career trajectory public for you to look at, and you can literally see the steps they took to get there, in a in a big picture sense, and have a, a planned, and and I would say dialogue. The other mistake I see people make is they go in fighting for mm-hmm. some reason. Either they're angry or they feel looked over, and that that can be completely. Uh, understandable. I empathize with that. And it's not helpful. Um, your boss is going to immediately be on the defensive and you must keep this a conversation for it to be effective. If you, tr- if your, your goal needs to be not actually to get the promotion, but to get your boss's perspective of you mm-hmm. and whether they would ever promote you and what the system that you're in requires for that. Because frankly, you may learn a lot. Number one, you may learn your boss's perception of you is entirely different of your own, which is, which is means some work. Number two, you may find you're not willing to do what it takes. Actually, mm-hmm. when you really think about it, the hours, your values, the company's risk tolerance. To put it nicely, I work a lot in the integrity and corporate governance space. Um, so, you know, there's some companies you wouldn't want to work at. I, I personally think, um, and. So you learn all those things and you need to draw them out. So what my number one tip is to create a psychologically safe space for your manager to completely open up and be honest with you. And that sounds a lot easier than it is. It's interesting. What I'm hearing there is promotions isn't something that is done to you. It's something that you create with others, which goes back to the HBR article, Mm -hmm. That it's not just about the skill set. You can be the smartest, most skillful person in the room. Absolutely. You mentioned it. If we don't play nice with others, it's the relationship piece. Do I want you on my team? And having those conversations and getting others with skin in the game, vested in your success and your career dreams, helps to open up those opportunities. Definitely. So, Amy, thank you for sharing more. And as I say, I'm a big fan of the PI Guide. How can our listeners and the watchers of the YouTube um, episode learn more about you and your work? Sure. Well, they can go to my website, which is barnardbond.com without the hyphen, and they can get their free copy of the Promotability Index, which is the 82 question leadership self-assessment that a lot of people get a lot just doing that. And you can get that by texting the word promote me, all one word, promote Mm -hmm. me to 44222. You can also get it from my website. And then I have the book available. If you like the assessment, you want to keep working on it. The guidebook is specifically a guidebook. It's not a book book. It is a working, it has insights. It has some narrative, but it's mainly a journaling style workbook that allows you to pick what you want to work on. And one of the most powerful things you can do if you are at a company where you know you want to stay, you have a good sponsor, boss, or mentor, have them check over your results, give them your index and say, hey, I just took this. It's a self-assessment. Could you take a look and just tell me, number one, do you agree? Mm -hmm. Do you think that, you know, do you see my strengths as what I put as my strengths? 
Or do you see some areas that I need to work on? Because that's going to give you invaluable information based on what we just talked about, right? With promotion. And it helps you the rest of your life. Um, again, this is just this is just one situation, but anything you work on that you get better at, you carry with you the rest of your life. So why not start now? And then the other thing is you you may disagree, but at least you know their perception, Morag. Mm-hmm. And that is worth its weight in gold. Because if your boss, and I've had clients like this, perceives had one negative experience, and this is unfair, but it's the way life works. Um, if they had one negative experience with you, that may be stuck as a running tape in their head. And now you know, and so you can work. It can take six to nine months to change a bad impression, frankly, but just ballparking this and having, you know, not not a specific context. But um, that's really important to know because that could be holding you back and you have no idea if you don't ask. Well, Amy Barnabon, thank you for sharing a little of your career journey and the insights from the Promotability Index. Congratulations thank on you. this first, I'm sure, of many books, but also the articles too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.